Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 143 for May 8th, 2008. Yuba Key. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by GoToMeeting. Stop wasting time and money on meeting in person. Hold your meetings online. You could do more and travel less. For a free trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash security now. And by listeners like you. Thanks for your donations. This is Security Now, episode 142. Leo Laporte here, Steve Gibson in Irvine, joining us in our new highly technical studio that isn't really <laughs> with working. The, with the details still coming together. <laughs> A lot of the details still coming together. Hi, Steve. Hey, Leo. Great to be back with you for our 142nd week of uh, Security Now. Wow. It, practically consecutive. Have we missed any weeks? No. Nope. We have never missed a week. Wow. Yeah, you, you, you and I used to have to bunch them up when you were running around traveling or when Isn't we were nice? together. I don't have to go to Canada anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's really yeah. simplified things considerably. I'm very pleased about that. So we have a guest today. We're going to have a guest joining us uh, by phone from Sweden. Um, and that'll be someone I referred to two weeks ago and maybe even last week. Um, and that is uh, Stina, uh, who is a CEO and one of the founders of Yubico, the makers of the YubaKey, which I just happened to stumble on when I was up at the RSA security conference. Um, I well, that was a lucky it, thing for both of us. <laughs> really was. Well, yeah. and for our, for our listeners too, they have received hundreds of emails and in, inquiries from um, my mention of the YubaKey um, when I did the episode two weeks ago on the RSA security conference. Right, and right. I've been in pretty much constant dialogue with Stina and and the um, technical people that, that they've got. And the news is virtually 100% good. Uh, I mean, the more I learn about this, they, they've been evolving their policies. Anyway, so we're th- this this week's episode is the Yubico Yubikey, cool. um, because it, uh, yeah, as we'll see when we get into it, this is a even better authentication solution than I expected it was going to be when I described it last week or two weeks ago uh, as, you know, the coolest new thing I had seen at the RSA conference. So uh, this week's episode is Yubico's YubiKey. And uh, I really think, you know, I'm going to go into all the technical details uh, after we have had a chance to speak with Stina. I, I asked her to come on because she she really has a vision for what she would like to see happen with authentication. I wanted to understand, you know, where this wacky name came from, uh, you know, a little bit about the company and just sort of get a sense for where they are. Because I know that, you know, when we've talked about and explained issues of authentication, there's been a strong interest. Um, obviously, I'm a person, I mean, I'm on record here on Security Now, believing that authentication, you know, getting this problem solved is 
an enabling factor for the whole future of the internet and as we go from web 2.0 to 3.0 you know more applications are moving onto the web we hear about you know now there's like all this computing in the cloud where corporations are going to be moving more of their infrastructure onto the internet as we have people who are able to to carry that so in in every situation where we've got a network and you don't have your typical, I think we once described it as like the Andy of Mayberry authentication, <laughs> you know, where you know Aunt B and you know Opie, you know. So you give you give Opie the drugs when he comes to the drugstore for Aunt B. <laughs> exactly. And so, so here on the net, you know, we need a good way of knowing that the person at the other end is who they say. And, you know, we've talked about VeriSign solutions and the eBay and PayPal you know, football and the credit card. Um, we're going to talk about something now, which is completely open source, no subscription fee, lifetime free authentication. And I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, I'm excited because this is, as long as you've got a USB port, this is the answer. It, it, it doesn't have a display as we talked about it before two weeks ago. It pretends to be a keyboard, but you just touch the button and it shoots out into your computer, you know, into, for example, a web form, um, this long string of random looking, you know, encrypted stuff that then can be authenticated either by you or by Yubico or, or whomever. And the advantage is that uh, there's no cost to anyone for all of this. Beyond. Wait a minute. Obviously, there's some cost or Ubico wouldn't have a business model. No, they want to sell the hardware. That's <clears throat> okay. all they that's okay. all they want to do. Um, the uh, the anyway, I, I, we'll go over yeah, this. You're giving it all away. <laughs> and we, then we won't have anything left when Stina calls. So hang in there. We well, probably have I, some updates uh, from uh, past weeks, I'm sure, and some and some security news, too. But before yep. before we get to that, I do want to mention our sponsor, we're brought to you, of course, as we have been for a long time by Astaro. I keep forgetting I have a camera on me now. I could show you the Astaro Security Gateway. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. Wait a minute. Let me. Dane! I'll get Dane to bring it down. <laughs> this is fun. Watch this. <laughs> I need an intercom. Can you bring, go into my office and bring me the Astaro Security Gateway? It's a beige box uh, by where the, uh, on the, uh, on the uh, little desk there. Behind my desk. You'll see it. You know, the, you, we haven't mentioned to our listeners that you have a camera on you now. Yeah, we are now. In fact, I invite uh, you to lot, broad, watch all our broadcasts, all our podcasts, as we record them uh, live at twitlive.tv and twitlive.com. And uh, you can you, you know you can just watch. And eventually, I think as soon as we get this set up a little bit more refined, you'll be able to participate by asking questions and so forth. You can do it now, actually. There's a Twitter account to follow this, twitlive. So if you, uh, I'm watching um, uh, direct tweets, so uh, tweets, or or if you just say at TwitLive from your Twitter account, we'll see it. And there is a chat room also at TwitLive.tv, which I'm watching. So there's a couple of ways you can participate. And you know what? If we get any questions for Stina or uh, Steve in this show, we'll throw them in. But eventually it'll be even more interactive, I hope. That's the plan. We're still working it out. So yeah, that's kind of fun. So anyway, let me get back to Astaro. Astaro is the security gateway company they make utms unified threat management boxes well i mean that just to say that kind of is to say not enough i mean this is an amazing company uh they really first of all they have a commitment to open source so it's a linux uh distro that comes on the box they've got a lot of open source security software some commercial stuff too as well 
just to cover the entire thing. Here's the here's the star. Thank you so much, Dane. I said it was beige and I was wrong. It's uh, it's it's gray. There is that's the uh, I think this is the 120. So this is one of the units. You can get a, you can get bigger units. You can uh, combine them up to ten at once without additional um, uh, uh, load balancing. So you can really grow with your network. So it looks a little bit. I mean, this looks just like a router, right? And it it it, it, is, it is in many ways kind of a router, except that. Boy, what is in here is so much more than routing. Yes, you've got a firewall, you've got intrusion protection, but you also have three kinds of antivirus, two for the uh, email, one for the web, anti-spyware, complete control over all the traffic, including instant messaging and peer-to-peer. You get VPN through SSL. You get uh, seamless uh, encryption using OpenPGP or SMIME. I mean, this thing really is an amazing box. Look, I tell you, the best thing to do you get one of these in your enterprise free. They'll give you a free demo. Just call Astaro, 877, the number four, A-S-T-A-R-O. That's 877-427-8276. And you may say, Leo, your gateway's not plugged in. Yes, we're vulnerable right now. <laughs> as soon as I can, Colleen's going to get it back on the network. Because when we moved down here, we, didn't, we, had, we moved everything down. We haven't yet set up all the uh, security. But this is absolutely going to protect our office. It's a great device. The Astaro Security Gateway. Get one for your office. 877, the number four. A-S-T-A-R-O. We thanks Astaro so much for their support. Uh, now, do you have any news? Anything you want to uh, do before oh, we yeah, talk to Oh, yeah. We definitely have some news of the week. Um, one little disturbing bit of news uh, was posted on uh, Dave Jevon's blog. Remember, he's the, the one of the main founders and president of Iron Key. Yeah. Um, he posted the news, uh, I guess it was on uh, Friday, um, that anonymizer.com was acquired by Abraxas. Oh. And the bad news is that Abraxas provides an uh, anonymity services for the national security community, NSA, CIA, DIA, oh, and so forth. Oh, boy. And so, you know, I'd, be, I'd feel much more comfortable if Anonymizer.com had stayed independent and just themselves rather than now being, you know, part of a government contractor. Wow. Yeah, you, you got to really kind of wonder. So, did you ever have you ever heard the rumors that Facebook was partly sponsored by the CIA? I've heard something about yeah, it's that. It's a persistent but... rumor which has consistently been denied as far as I know. But it's kind of credible. You would think if you were the NSA, if you were the CIA, the kind of a great way to f- watch people would be to be part of these social networks. What better thing to do than buy anonymizer? Yeah, but it yeah. makes me. I mean, as a user, you kind of have to say, "Well, hmm." So yeah, I mean, I don't Mick know. Tor's looking and, better than better. That's what I. <laughs> I don't know that anything untoward is going on, of course. <laughs> but I just wanted our listeners to know if any of them are anonymizer customers that uh, anonymizer is no longer independent. It has been acquired and acquired by a company that does a lot of business with the three-letter initial. Um, intelligence services of the United States. When you said untoward, did you mean that as a pun? <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, it's a pun. Un-T-O-R-E-D. Untoward. untoward. Oh, Get Leo, it? You're at the top of your game this, <laughs> you're at the top of your game this it's, morning. It's a Quinty Venti Latte, man. You're right. Those things work. <laughs> so so let's uh let's okay so that's one big story what else is uh, out there in the well also there was a this is just sort of uh, just to sort of keep our eye on a a disturbing constant theme 
of the FBI has been their request for ISPs to to retain data. Uh, there was a recent con- congressional hearing where FBI Director Robert Mueller uh, again called for federal data retention laws to force ISPs to keep records of what their customers do for two years. He's been trying to do this for a long time. I know. And and what's what's really confusing is he's not saying what he wants kept. Now, you know, the the weakest information that would be kept would probably be at least the IP addresses that customers have had over that period of time, which right. frankly would not be that burdensome. I mean, for for the ISPs to retain, but there's talk about it being all the way up to and including the a, a website trail. That is what websites people are going to. You mean the kind of stuff that uh, Google keeps track of with its web history? Well, exactly, yeah. and and you know, and and he immediately well, marches well, actually out. more than that because Google's only tracking your searches. Your ISP knows everywhere you go because of the oh, DNS yeah. request. Well, it's watching your click stream it as everything. it's now be- becoming called. And yeah. of course, he immediately marches out the child porn peddlers yeah, and online yeah, yeah, predators yeah. saying, oh, we could do a much better job of catching them. Well, of course, everyone is sympathetic to that. But, you know, it's creepy to think that this whole I mean, that our ISP that's connecting us to the net has the power that they do to see everything that we're doing and that they would be required by the government to maintain two years of logs of of everything every individual does on the internet that's the old I mean, that, argument that really, if you that's the, I'm sorry that's the old argument if you're not doing anything wrong what do you have to fear yeah and and unfortunately our government doesn't have the best track record of dealing with you know at, you know this kind of information aggregation well no government does. And anybody should be suspicious of any government. You know, you, yeah, I trust our government, but any government that wants to collect this information, that's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, um, four researchers um, at Carnegie Mellon, Uni- Carnegie Mellon University, uh, UC Berkeley and University of Pittsburgh, they've come up with a an automated, they call it APEG, automated patch-based exploit generator essentially this thing is able to take a look at windows updates analyze the pre and post patch and design a an exploit for the vulnerability that the patch fixes and so as so you know we've talked about how hackers are looking at windows update updates and then manually yeah. reverse engineering what it was that was changed well these guys these computer science researchers have essentially automated that process and so they're now urging microsoft i mean you know their point is if they can do it so can the bad guys and we know now there's i mean there's big money behind developing you know quickly developing exploits for vulnerabilities and there, there's a window of opportunity between the time the vulnerability is known about, the exploit is generated, and everyone gets themselves patched. So they're urging Microsoft to somehow really work to minimize this, this vulnerability window. For example, maybe getting the vulnerability, the, the, the updates all distributed, but having them encrypted so that then 
a key is provided to like simultaneously decrypt them all in place. Maybe use peer-to-peer networks somehow to to push these these fixes out much faster. Because right now, I mean, they trickle out of Microsoft when you consider the number of systems that need to be updated every second Tuesday of the month. You know, I mean, it's often the case that that my computer doesn't an, alert me that it's got some updates for you know several days after that. The, 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 those patches began to get pushed out. So, so, so essentially, what what's happened is there's been a a reaction to this constant patching that we're what we're now seeing from Microsoft. And these researchers are saying, hey, if we can automate it, so can the bad guys. And you you've got to believe mm. that there's a huge incentive for them to do so. You bet. You bet. Automated zero day. I like that. I mean, oh, I don't boy. like that, but it's yeah, it's impre- You know, you have to admire their technical prowess. Yep. <laughs> if, if nothing else. And, and you know, it, it's really all taken off since there's been a financial incentive for them to do it. I mean, that's the key thing. As long as they can make money at it, well, we'll throw resources at it. Oh, that's the change in, in you know, in the last five years. Yeah. This went from being script kiddies screwing around saying, hey, look, Ma, what I can do to, you know, now to organize crime saying, OK, we're going to pay you uh, hackers yep. to do that. And, you know, it's it's big money. Amazing. Amazing. Any other news? Well, I did have one since we're waiting for Stina to call. Well, I she's did actually have... here, but she's already here. Oh, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> but but let's just finish up, and then we'll get we'll get to Stina because I don't. Well, I, don't... I, I had I had an interesting piece of email that caught my eye, um, as I always do. This one was the subject was Spinrite helps kids with cancer, and I thought, okay, Aww. how how is data recovery going <laughs> to do that? So uh, this is a letter from from Pete Harmon that I got a couple weeks ago. It said, "Dear Steve." I wanted to drop you a line and let you know how much good you're doing in so many ways that you probably never consider possible the day you sat down to develop Spinrite. He said, I'm, an, I'm a FedEx pilot, so Federal Express pilot, hmm. and I have gotten a reputation as a computer hobbyist slash geek around flight operations. Well, if he's listening to, if he's listening to security now, that's true. <laughs> yeah. He says, on more than one occasion, I've provided tech support to friends and fellow pilots. He says, I run a website for our pilots called pilotswap.net. And he said, several weeks back, I got a phone call from Bill who told me his computer was dead and he heard I may be able to help. He described the problem that his laptop was working fine one day in Honolulu and wouldn't boot at all when he landed in Sydney the next day. Obviously caught carrying FedEx packages across the, <laughs> across the globe. Wow. And he, he said, I asked him if he could hear the hard drive spinning and he said he thought he could but stated it was just clicking and clicking, but nothing was happening. Not sure I could help. I agreed to take a look at my next opportunity. He left his laptop in my locker, and I brought my Spinrite CD with me the following week. I put it in the laptop, and after two or three dozen attempts to get the laptop to boot from the CD, I was stumped. His computer was simply not going to boot from either CD or the hard drive. So, just for grins, I removed the top two screws holding the, the, the hard drive panel on and took his hard drive out, brought it home with me. I hooked it up to my PC at home using an EIDE to USB cable I have, and the drive spun right up. But, I was most, but it was mostly unreadable and made lots of noise when I tried to access what few files I could even see in Windows Explorer. I rebooted my machine with my Spinrite CD and was able to quickly see Bill's drive. I set Spinrite to work and about four hours later, the data rescue routines were complete. 
I took Bill's drive to work with me the following week and put it back in his laptop. It booted right up and Bill was able to recover hundreds of family photos he'd been storing on his laptop for years. Elated and grateful, Bill offered to pay me for my services. Instead, I asked that he make a donation for his gratitude. Here's what I got from him this week. He said, quote, Pete, hopefully by now you receive my two voicemails letting you know I dropped off your hardware back on your box. I was able to capture all my family pics. Many thanks. I made a donation to St. Jude's Children's Hospital in your name for $200. Again, many thanks. Cheers and regards, Bill. So then Pete ends saying, I'm glad I could make a difference, but you and your wonderful product, Spinrite, made it possible. Aww. Isn't that neat? So I thought that was really neat. Nice story. Nice story. Now, would you like to introduce our guest? Christina's on the line with us right now. Hey, Stina. Welcome. It's nice to talk to you again. I guess it was, what, about four weeks ago that we bumped into each other at the top of the elevators in San Francisco. Yeah, that was my lucky day. <laughs> um, it's been... Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I mean, you've been, a, you've been a rainmaker for me. I mean, it's been literally around hundreds of emails that come from all over the world who's now, you know, ordering our stuff and asking all these kind of questions and things are taking off. Well, that's fantastic. I, um, I'm going to talk about the technology and the, the detailed operations of the YubiKey after we're through talking to you, but I, I loved your story sort of about where the name came from, where the, the, the company came from, and, and also sort of your vision for authentication. So I wanted you to, I thought our listeners would get a kick out of hearing it directly from you. Are you a, are you a security researcher, Stina? What's your, what's your background? No, I'm a product designer. I went to art school. And I married an electronic computer engineer. Um, we've been working as a team for 15 years, and he's learned you know, he learned me the basics, but the really nitty-gritty things. He is, you know, he's he's the one who has the, you know, he's made the the mod hex that you read about just a few minutes ago, Steve. You know, he's the right. one who, yeah. <laughs> so, and then Simon, who is the another uh, internet security expert in the team, he's been, you know, um, putting some efforts into this too. So, so you you're a product designer. Um, and you, are you a security uh, buff? I mean, or, or was it all your husband's idea or how, how did this come about? We work very closely. I ask all these stupid questions and, you know, I can tell you actually, and you know, we started, um, we started together working as a, we actually co-founded a company called Cypac a few years ago, Jacob and I, and this was in, in the RFID space. And one of the many applications for the technology was a contactless smart card with the pin keypad on the card itself. And we called this card the pin-on card. And we were very proud of it because it was so secure. I mean, I think it could have been one of the most secure solutions ever invented. We got the European Innovation Award, 200,000 euros for this. Wow. And we were just, you know... You know, the world wants this, needs this. And we were just so excited until we started talking with customers. <laughs> you know, we hadn't even thought about that this card, you know, it was very secure. But it required a specific microchip built into a specific card with an integrated keypad. And it had to be connected with an RFID reader and it needed client software. So when we actually we were approached by an online bank and we were planning a pilot with them, uh, but by the end of the day, they, you know, they, they're one of their bank guys called me up and said, we'll, we really like 
the automatic thing. But we don't like the card reader and we don't like the client software. And our customers, they are, you know, they are from from all platforms, all browsers, the Windows version, the Mac, the Firefox. And this client software thing would probably require us to hire 30 new full-time employees only to take care of all the online support. So this bank guy, he said to us, you know, you're good inventors, but, you know, you can come back when you removed the client software and the reader. Mm. <laughs> so that was a good challenge. We, you know, we said, okay, thanks. We're, we'll make a try. And we started examining, you know, look, looked at the computers, Jacob and I, and, and I asked this stupid question. You know, I said, there's a keyboard to this computer, you know, and that doesn't require a driver. And he said, mm, yeah, you're right. So, you know, what, couldn't we make a code generator that simulated it was an HID driver, you know, acting the same way? And, we, you know, and yeah, that's where the, the idea was started. And so we went, <laughs> we went back to the bank. Uh, we got, first we got rid of the client software, and then we made it into USB fob uh, to get rid of the reader. And we reduced the 12 buttons to one little button, and this was the first version of the YubiKey. It was a fat, you know, looked almost like any other USB memory. And... Uh, the bank guy, you know, he looked at it and he said, mm, this is an interesting concept, but um, there's one problem. We prefer to buy security solutions from the big guys. So um, anyway, I thought it was a good comment. So this was in May 2007. And with this first prototype version of the YubiKey, I decided to start Yubico. I did not have a clear business plan. But I thought if the only problem was that I was not a big guy, it was worth testing it. And the name Yubico uh, came from, from the word ubiquitous. I did not want a name that had anything to do with secure, verified, ID, trust, you know, all these boring other names that are out there. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else in the, at RSA. Yeah, yeah. without imagination. Right. So I thought I wanted a friendly name. And I like the word ubiquitous. I envision this to be everywhere, mass market. So I started playing with the word ubiquitous, and I ended up with Ubico. That's it. I like it. So um, we, um, you know, so the first step, I had the prototype version. And I now I realized I needed someone to say that this was a good product. So I asked people, you know, who, who can write a security report for me? And I came in contact with Simon. And he wrote an independent third-party security report. Do you know the one I sent you, Steve? The yes, one you yes. Yes, that right. And the good thing with this was when Simon had written his paper, he was so enthusiastic. So he said he asked me if he could invest in the company and work for me. Well, what the problem was that I no longer had an independent security review, but I had the perfect <laughs> investor. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know. That's a good sign when the guy reviewing your security says, can I work for you? Yeah, and I it's like on the that. website tomorrow, so anyone can look at it. It's, okay. You know, it's, it's, it's not third party, but you know, he was third party when he wrote it. You know? uh, uh, and Simon, he, he's a great guy. He's very passionate about open source security. And he recommended me at that time to fly over to, from Stockholm to an internet identity workshop in California and where I could learn more about this open ID initiative. 
that we think is a great initiative. And, you know, I would learn how we could fit in the YubiKey in OpenID so we could enable one YubiKey to go to all internet. Uh, so I went to California to this workshop, and I met a guy from VeriSign. And he introduced me to another guy at VeriSign. And this, this guy, he said that the YubiKey could be quite interesting for them. If, <laughs> you, know, this is, you know, this is the story. It's always an if. If we could make this device to fit in a wallet and make it very, very cheap in, in big volumes. So I thanked him for his feedback. I fly back to Sweden and started, you know, looking for designs. I'm a product designer, so I went to the internet and said, you know, what are what kind of USB devices are there? They are really thin. And the other day, a friend of mine gave me a very minimalistic USB key. It was just designed in two parts: a little circuit board and a plastic casing. That's it. So when I saw it, I thought, you can't make it smaller, you can't make it thinner, you can't make it less expensive. And um, that's, you know, that was the inspiration to the current YubiKey design. And meanwhile, I had met this guy at VeriSign. He had introduced me to another guy at eBay. And I sent him, I actually sent him the first version because we, the thin wasn't ready yet. But I sent him the first version of the fat YubiKey. And I asked him to look at it because I thought eBay might be a big customer for me. And he said, um, you know, he wasn't very interested. Yeah, he even didn't want to look at it. He took him four weeks before he even answered my emails. But then one Sunday in October, he came back and he, you know, actually, this is what he wrote. So now I'm reading from his email. Uh, <clears throat> Dear Stina, I've now tested your product. I'm impressed by its simplicity. I think the YubiKey is the only hardware authentication token that would fulfill the requirements for Web 2.0 services. Looking forward to a further dialogue. Paul, you know, that was a good, good email. <laughs> so um, it just took four weeks. And after that, he left eBay and he started working for YubiCo in California. <laughs> You're stealing people left. <laughs> so now I had an office in California. That's great. That's great. <laughs> So I had an office in California, one in Stockholm. So it was Simon, me, and Paul. And, um, well, in January, the little thin YubiKey was ready. And we started shipping the first pilot box. It was to one of Paul's friends who has set up a um, Chinese IPTV company. It's called Dragon IPT. We have um, um, you know, a demo on our website on the film that actually showed that, that service. And, you know, we were very enthusiastic because you know, within a couple of months, we had five pilots starting. And we didn't really understand, you know, the customers, they were so happy. They came back and they said, this works so perfect and the users love it. But the business really didn't take care. We didn't get any next orders. And eventually we asked them and they said, you know, there's one problem. <laughs> there's always one problem. And now they said, you haven't given us a price list. And we don't really understand your business model. Is this open source or is it not open source? You know, you haven't been perfectly clear on that. So when we started Ubico, Simon and I, we had visioned Ubico as an open source company, um, a web shop, 
where with free SDKs, with a developer's community around it, and with almost no salespeople, you know, people just sort of sending out things from the web shop and no flashy offices, eliminating all the expensive layers of distributors and resellers who are now driving up the pr- prices in this, you know, existing internet security infrastructure. Uh, and Simon and I, we were very excited about this idea. We tested it on some internet security professionals and other salespeople we know in this industry. And they all warned us. Actually, they warned us. They said, you're, you know, it's too risky. We would not recommend you to do that. So we were sort of standing on one leg. We, you know, we didn't make any decisions. If the customers want to buy from us, we couldn't give them a price list because we didn't know, you know, we didn't know who we were. We just knew we had a great product. And then I bumped into you, Steve. So <laughs> you made us, you forced us to make that decision. You know, emails come, you know, literally they came in, you know, in my email box, you know, hundreds of them. And I had to call Simon, you know, you know, they're asking for prices. You know, we have to give them some prices. On this. <laughs> and, you know, and they're asking for, for the SDKs. You know, are, 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 will this be our software or not? And then I had another investor who actually joined a little later. He's the former CEO of Microsoft. So I called. He's the other, you know, this is, we are the only one taking the big decisions in this company so far. So it was very easy to make a on-the-phone call decision. Okay, now we go. Just shoot. Um, we know we are taking risks. We know there are big challenges. But... This is the way we want to do it, and this is the way that feels right for us. I, I, well, I have, I have I to apologize because we probably should have explained what the YubiKey is because I think there's some people who are probably listening going, well, all right. Well, can yeah, you, can you, can you kind of synopsize, gonna, Steve? Give us an yeah, idea. Yeah, I, I, I'll be covering that uh, after we're through talking to, to Stina in detail. But essentially, um, it is what we talked about two weeks ago. It is a, a, an amazingly small... Um, little essentially piece of plastic with with that is a, a an emulator a, a, of a USB keyboard. So it's it's we have pictures of it in our show notes from from two weeks ago and also this week's show notes, so people can see what it looks like, or they can just go to Ubico. Uh, it's yubico.com and and see pictures of it there. It is. It, it contains cryptographic technology, which essentially uh, produces a one-time password, which is is typed into your computer by this this little piece of plastic by the YubiKey. It, it shows up as a as a standard USB keyboard as an HID device. So exactly. it can it can do that. I mean, it doesn't. It, there's no magic, and it works with everything that supports HID, which is pretty much everything. Well, exactly. So, so it's OS independent. And, and what Stina was saying before, the, the problem that people had with the RFID approach was that it needed – there had to be a companion reader, right. and you had to have client-side software in order to interface it. And, and what's so cool about this is – I mean, it, it's funny because, I mean, the, you know, when, I, when I bumped into Stina at the RSA conference, she was standing there and saw my press credentials and, and thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe I can, you know – I'm sure she was doing with this with other press people too. You know, maybe this person. I think who I, I don't... about five people. You were the first one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, uh, I, you know, I'm I'm sure she was thinking maybe you know th- he, this person will help me get the word out. And you know, being an engineer, 
when she said this is a one-time password device, which is a USB keyboard. My, my mouth just dropped open because it, it, it was, it's brilliant. And that's what I loved about the concept is that it, is, it just does what it does beautifully. And, um, and we'll go into the technology because there, the, the design that underlies this is spectacular. But what, I, what I'm so pleased with and the reason I wanted to give this, I mean, a whole Security Now episode is that what Stina and her colleagues have decided to do is uh, to, to make the, authentic, the back-end authentication services free. No subscription, no license, nothing. They want to just sell the YubiKeys. And, you know, unlike a huge company like VeriSign that has a massive infrastructure that they need to support, and, 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 and literally all the other companies that I saw on the RSA showroom floor, they were all into locking you in, signing you up, and, I mean, and they were – you know, there were there were big businesses that were that were looking for big corporate and offering big corporate solutions. Well, here is something this this YubiKey technology that is, uh, and I'm looking at at the the, the prices that um, that uh, Stina and and her and her group have come up with. Quantity one price is thirty five dollars. Quantity ten is twenty five dollars. Quantity one hundred is twenty dollars. A thousand of them are sixteen dollars each. Ten thousand. Twelve dollars each, a hundred thousand, eight dollars each. So this price drops rapidly, and and their model is to to sell the YubiKeys and provide everything else open source. So for example, you know they've already posted their source code up on um, Google's um, code pages that that shows how to decrypt the output from the YubiKey. Um, and the um, they're, they're they're in the process of putting the the technology together um, and the documentation for how to program the YubiKey. And I mean, again, it's it's even better than I thought it was two weeks ago due due, due to the approaches that they're taking and how open they're being about what it is that they've created. It's very cool stuff. Well, there are some bits and pieces we are you know we now rapidly need to put in place because there. Are, Huge orders coming in. And <laughs> Everyone <great. laughs> wants them now. Yes. And I mean, it, our developers community, I vision that to be really, you know, a, something, you know, dynamic, growing, but now it's just an embryo. So it's, you know, people are asking, you oh, where can I find that document? And, you know, please, please, you give us some weeks. Um, but, you know, we can produce the YubiKeys in large volumes. We set up that production. And anyone can buy these from our website and start downloading whatever they can find there. And, and eventually there, there will be more. And I think instead of just fighting against these big guys that we mentioned, uh, we believe we can do this in a different way. I mean, we can... Um, I'm, I'm very excited of what this um, developers community will go. Um, I'm even envisioning that little guys in countries with little IT budgets could develop their own e-democracy and education and payment system based on the YubiKey and open source. And what will happen, you know, that would be really destructive. <laughs> you know, there could be systems that sort of are built on this that will require so 
will be so less expensive than what our, you know, the current infrastructures are for security and, and systems and governments and payments today. That And we, I, we should make this clear that you run a server so people can use your server. But no, I mean, we, we, a, it's more for a value. And it's more, more for the server is, is for pilots, for testing, for right. anyone who want to use it. We believe that most want to run it themselves. Yeah, so for security, you'd off. run your own server. So there's a complete uh, SDK and there's a server and, and there's everything you'd need to do that. No, but it's a free choice. And some right. small com- companies or individuals, they don't, they don't deep, might have a server or they don't want to invest in servers. So we give them the option. But our focus is the keys and, you know, downloading software. And we're not focusing on the server. We just see, have it as an option, too. Do you, do you see uh, at some point some sort of um, unified system so that, uh, see, I, I don't want to carry 20 different keys. It'd be really nice if, if, if something like the YubiKey would become kind of the standard, much like uh, uh, Steve Verisign's trying to do with their yeah. system. So that yeah, ev- We have a dialogue with them. We met them at the RSA show, and, and you know, we don't see it's either or. I mean, they support OpenID. We support OpenID. There are other standards coming, and we're they support OAuth, and and we we will eventually support OAuth too. So, I mean, well, see, I, I guess that's all you need. If everybody supported OpenID, yeah, uh, then I would just use my YubiKey. When a site asked for my password, I'd plug it in. Um, it would have to interface though with a one-time password code, right? I mean, it would have to somehow have a server to support that. Yeah, someone has to be the identity has to provider, and right. there are a lot of people who want to be that. I mean, Google is already, already an identity provider. Yahoo is one. Right. AOL is one. So, so yeah, your next you know. big step is to get somebody like that to ident- to uh, to adopt the YubiKey system. Yeah, that would be helpful. Yeah, and then then I can go to any Open ID site because that's widely spread. I could choose that provider, whoever uses the YubiKey as my Open ID provider, use the YubiKey, and I'm done. Well, and, and also, Lee, I mean, there, there's nothing magic about being an open ID provider. So, for right. example, I would imagine before long, it would be possible to get some open source server software that is an open ID authenticator that knows the YubiKey and you just run it on your own server. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there is no limitation. You don't have to be a big guy to be an open identity provider. It could be a you know, it could sure. be a one-man guy that does it, you know. And everything you're doing is open source, the server and everything. So it's very yep. transparent. People know yeah, what's we, going you know, on. We, we figured out that, that that was the way it has to oh, be. Oh, yeah. I think so it well, and, and, and it's completely open spec also. Right. So, so for example, I mean, the, the business model of, of you know, that we've talked about before when, when we were excited about the the Verisign um, VIP system, the little, the football and and the card. You know they're a big company standing behind it, but there's nothing that individuals have to use there. I mean it, it, it's a large corporate solution. You know an eBay, a PayPal kind of company, not something that that you know universities or 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 for example I you know I couldn't use it as the authentication technology for my forthcoming VPN product, I absolutely can use the YubiKey. I mean, yeah, you could write just, your, you could write a server, run a server and use GRC as an open ID provider. And if people trusted you, they have the YubiKey, that'd be it. Well, I could accept that I'm going to make my, the, the VPN server itself. That is the, the thing that you're connecting to will be, be able to authenticate your, your user YubiKey. I mean, right within itself. Wow. Cool. I mean, it really it is a, it's a transformational technology because these guys have have committed to just opening the spec, opening the software, you know, and selling the hardware at a, at an affordable price. 
Very interesting. Stina, we really want to thank you for joining us. And we, you know, um, congratulations on your success. I think that's exciting. Thank you very much. Yeah, you, you've created a really interesting product. But when I haven't seen Steve get this excited in a long time. Okay, sure. <laughs> thank you, Steve. Bye bye. Bye bye. Talking to you in email. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So uh, th- I know you're going to talk in more detail about how the f- uh, the functionality works. So we have some questions from the chat room, but I'll hold off on those until uh, until you get you know kind of lay it out for us. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So, okay. We have uh, one of the first things that they realized was since this thing was going to be a keyboard, that is since, since you, you plug it into a USB port, the computer recognizes it as a keyboard. Then you, then um, at the proper time when you want it to emit its, its cryptographic string, you just touch a little touch surface on it. It's, it has a really nice sort of green glow. It is literally, it's the, you know, it's the thickness of a, a, of a PC board, a, a printed circuit board. And remember, Leo, many months ago when I was up in Vancouver and I showed you something that I had just discovered, you'd already seen it, of course, but it was, that, it was an SD card that was also a USB um, yeah, you flip it open. I think SanDisk it, makes it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It, it was a SanDisk product, and I thought this is so cool. It's because it's as big as an SD card, but it's but it has its own built-on USB interface. Yeah, so it's so it's both. It, it right. sort of has a, a funky little hinge, and so you, you're able to plug it in as a, a as an SD card, but then you, you're able to like kind of almost like break it in half and and the the part of it hinges away leaving the four fingers of of the USB interface. Well, that's what what Stina talked about seeing and realizing that they could do an authentication device rather than a memory device in the same form factor. And mm-hmm. the brilliance of what they did is they said let's it's going to be a keyboard. Well, so that's what I really think is interesting. Yes. Because it types the, as you say, when you press the button, it types the password. Well, and what they realized was, okay, the the the, the football that we've talked about so much, the VeriSign technology, and even the um, RSA Secure ID technology, those are all six-digit tokens. Because that's first of all, they're one-time passwords, so that's enough of a of, of a of a string length for for you know to be you know. What's the chance of guessing it? Well, we right. know that's one right. in a million. Right. So actually, we know it's and a little so, bit less than and that. And since you only use it once, you don't. I mean, it's not like somebody can bang on it for a long time. Exactly. Right. But one of the things these guys realized was, wait a minute, since users don't have to type this string, we're not limited to, for example, something easy to type. So we can we can convey much more information in our one-time password string than you could ever ask a user to type. So, for example, um, when you touch the contact, you it emits 44 characters. It's 44 <laughs> characters of gobbledygook. <laughs> uh, yeah, exa- oh, no, it, go, it goes zoop. It just kind of comes out. And, now, and of so- course, you, there's some user uh, intervention involved. You have to click the field that it needs to be in. It's not going to figure that out automatically. Yes, that's correct. Because yeah. all it's doing is just, it's just spitting typing. out this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, the front 12 characters, the first 12 never change. They are oh. they're, they're essentially the public ID for your Yubi- YubiKey, and every single one of them is different. 
Ah, so it has so to send that though, so that you right. Otherwise, it wouldn't be able to figure out if the remaining part of the code was correct. Precisely. So, so the, it is that that twelve, the first twelve characters do not encode the key at all. They're just it's just a serial number essentially. It, it, it's the public identity for the key. Then, okay, because USB keyboards don't send ASCII, they send scan codes. That is the actual the USB spec. Lord knows why they designed it this way, but it's actually scan codes. Well, that's a problem for internationalization because when you move the keys around, the scan codes still refer to the same key, but that's a different character. So one of the problems these guys had to solve, and they called it mod hex is their name for it. They had to find scan codes which were invariant across all keyboards so that it wouldn't – so that the, the language um, – the language-specific interface on the computer would still convey the same characters. Turns out that was not a hard problem to solve. There are, among all the keyboards, there are enough keys that are always in the same position that therefore always have the same scan codes on the keyboard that they were able to do this. So so the, the, the ASCII that you see is always the same. Um, that is, that is it, it's... it's um, it's kind of the standard set that every keyboard has, as opposed to any extended stuff. Exactly. Although it's a bizarre set of characters. I mean, it's you know, I'm looking at you know, L V K C C U T L I B F I V J G U T R J N D J B U K. So it sounds it sounds like it's alphabetic, not numeric, not punctuation. Correct. It's all it's Just all alpha characters. Up, up in uh, 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 uppercase and lowercase. Um, well, it's, I'm looking at a capital I at the beginning, okay. but I don't. But then everything else is lowercase, okay. so it looks like maybe they just capitalized the first character. The reason I ask uh, is sometimes pass uh, sometimes passwords are case sensitive, sometimes not. Sometimes yes. they require hey, you don't know, have special requirements like a number at the beginning, which really drives me crazy, by the way. Well, and see, this would not be used by any normal like thing that was asking for a password. I guess you're right, huh? Yeah, the idea is this would always be going directly to someone who's doing your authentication. Got it. Okay, so we have the so we have um they're encoding four bits, four binary bits in each character, so they have a 16 character alphabet. So those first 12 characters that are that are invariant that are that identify which of the, you know, which YubiKey out of all YubiKeys you've just stuck into the keyboard, uh, those 12 characters co- uh, convert to 48 bits. So there, there's this 48-bit ID, which, which the YubiKey, uh, YubiKey declares itself as. Then you've got 32 characters, which immediately follow. So, that, so that's a total of 44 characters. The first 12 followed by 32. Well, those, <laughs> that should those, be enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it just... <laughs> in fact, what I was reading a second ago was one of was the output from my YubiKey, which as you know... Notice you I interrupted I, you before you got to all 47 characters. I, I, was, I, had, four, I had four to go. But my, but, but my point is that's, that's what this thing looks like. So that's, it's 32 characters. And of course, again, four bits per character means that it encodes 128 bits. So, so essentially, you are sending a 128-bit oh, interesting. blob every time you authenticate. So, so 
the YubiKey contains a write-only 128-bit AES secret key. Hmm. So, so, so mine is different than yours and is different than everybody else's. The, the, those first 12 characters that, that the YubiKey sends, in the case, for example, of authentication by Yubico, those 12 characters are used to look up in their database the associated 128-bit AES key that is also contained in the YubiKey itself. So the YubiKey encodes some data that I'm about to describe using its secret 128-bit AES key. And we know AES is just Reindahl, my, you know, my favorite cipher of all time. It encodes the 128 bits of data using its secret AES key, turns it into this mod hex, and spits it out. It then travels across the Internet or to wherever it's going for authentication the, the 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 receiver knows this key's secret 128-bit symmetric key. It simply uh, it just it does a Rindal decode to turn uh, to turn it back into the 128 bits of plain text that I that that then then allows it to proceed with authentication. So the the Yuba key itself, you can write the AES key into it. That is its own secret 120-bit AES key, but there is no provision at all for reading it out. It, you, it will never tell you. Nothing you can do to it will cause it to relinquish its key. You can only push the button and have it spit out these, um, these tokens, but you cannot get it to tell you its key. You can give it a key. You, it'll never give it back to you. It'll only give you the result. So it's very secure from that standpoint. I, th- okay. I think this is this is such a cool technology. I can okay. see why you got jazzed about it. Well, and so now we're, we've got 128 bits, and I mean they came up with 128 bits, of course, because that's the width of a Rindal block. So um, that's 128 bits is 16 bytes. The first six bytes is a unique device ID, and again, it's every single key ever made. Has, has a unique ID. This is part of what, you know, they're, they're planning ahead. They're saying, you know, what if this thing really takes off? Well, we want to make sure that all keys are unique so that we, ha- so that we can use them for identity purposes without any collision. So you've got six bytes, which is 48 bits, which is a ton. I mean, I don't, I haven't, done, I don't have a calculator in front of me, but that's a lot of devices. That's more than we're going to need. It's like, it's like the same six bytes in a MAC address for an for an Ethernet controller, right. where you want every Ethernet controller in the world to have a unique ID, so that because that's the way that the MAC address identifies Ethernet devices on an on, on an Ethernet LAN, and you don't want them to collide, or you can't have those two, two devices on the LAN. So similarly, this prevents any collision between all the Yuba keys that will ever be made. Okay, then we have a two-byte, what they call a session counter. That is a non-volatile counter, and it counts the number of times the Yuba key is powered up. So if you put it, if, if you plug it in, that session counter increments once when the Yuba key powers up. And that's non-volatile, so it only increments 
and it never resets to zero. Um, next is three bytes of a timestamp, and, and that's a three-byte counter, 24 bits, that runs at 8 hertz. So eight times per second, this three-byte timestamp is counting up. Well, that means that it will run, before it wraps around, it runs for 24 days. And that always starts at zero when you plug it in. So you plug it in, the session counter, which is two bytes, increments by one, and this timestamp starts running. Well, this, this has a number of features. One is it has an anti-phishing feature because it, it means that they're able to, to determine when, because essentially you've got time embedded in the, in, in the YubiKey's output, they're able to determine, that is, they're, they're, the recipient is able to determine for successive outputs during a single session when these were generated by the, by the key. So if anything were to intercept this and, and impose some interception delay and then try to use it, it contains a timestamp. So by comparing the timestamp received from previous receptions of this YubiKey output, they're able to determine whether these are out of sequence, whether they're, they've been delayed for some reason, because normally the, the authentication happens in near real time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're on, you're on a form, you, 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 you go, to, go to the YubiKey field to authenticate, or maybe you've got this all built in, for example, in, 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 into, a, for example, a VPN client, and you, you press the button, it types this stuff out, then you would submit the form. So there's only a, a, a um, you know, like a few seconds delay between the time the YubiKey generates its token and the authenticator has it and is and is able to authenticate. So just, I mean, they they had 128 bits to play with, and so from an engineering standpoint, they said, well, what cool things can we do with all this space? So they gave us an eight hertz timestamp. So every YubiKey uh, token is timestamped in real time as it's generated. That's a, that actually solves a problem that VeriSign has with their football or uh, their little card, right? Because um, if you're out of sequence, sometimes, occasionally, if like, you've pressed the key a bunch of times or whatever, you'll have to get back and seek. They can lose track of the sequence, I guess. Well, yeah, Does this now, solve that? Uh, well, it, actually, it's that we got so many bits, and what we're really doing is encrypting this thing in in fact, all you really want to do is prove that you have the magic 128-bit AES key. So the fact is, just decrypting this and doing a sanity check oh, for that's for all the you have to do. That's really all you have. You to do. You don't have to match it up. You don't have to generate a matching key or anything like that at all. It, exactly. Oh, I, I see. Mean, so it really yeah. is a different technology than the football. It, yeah. Well, it's a completely different approach because they're not. Again, they're not having to to try to say okay. Uh, we're only, we've only got right. six digits right. because six, six digits does not give you enough specificity. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, but there's more than a million keys one hopes out there. So that's not going to exactly. do it. Exactly. Right, right. Okay. So the next byte is a session use byte, just one byte, which increments every time you use it during that session. So remember, we have the session counter that increments once for the whole power up cycle. And then the session use byte it, in, it starts at zero for at the beginning of every session, and then it increments. And that's just to 
to make every single one unique, even though the timestamp would, would would also do it. But the next two bytes is a is is 16 bits of pseudo random data. So they have a pseudo random generator that just generates 16 bits of noise um, that is added in. The reason they do that is that the the one the one concern that you would have in a in in simply include in, in encrypting Rindall or any symmetric cipher block we've talked about this before is that is that this uses what's called ECB mode electronic codebook mode meaning you simply take the data and you you encrypt 128 bits into 128 bits well the the problem with ECB mode is the so-called known plain text attack, meaning that if you if you ever are encrypting the same data or or potentially similar data, there's a a, a theoretical vulnerability that is that, that you 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 could begin to build up a mapping between the plain text and the encrypted data. So what they do is they throw in this two bytes of pseudo random data in addition to three bytes of timestamp, which is, you know, running at eight Hertz, that's much faster even than you're able to emit these, these uh, key output. So there's a, a lot of randomness in those two things, uh, or at least non-determination. And, there, and then they have the pseudo random bytes. And finally, a six, a 16 bit two byte CRC, a cyclic redundancy check, which applies to the entire block. So, so the idea would be you receive one of these things, which is this funky mod hex code. You translate each of the 16 different characters in the alphabet into four bits. That gives you 128 bits. Then you look up the keys, secret 128-bit Rindall um, symmetric key. You decrypt that 128 bits into this data that I've just described. So now you have the the device's unique ID, six bytes, the session counter, um, the timestamp, the session use byte, then there's two pseudo-random bytes that you ignore, but you you do run all that through this CRC just as a sanity check to make sure that you have probably decrypted something that is valid and that there was no data loss or or, or corruption at, at any point. And then you've got all this information about the YubiKey, that is how many times it's been used in that session, a, a, a sense for of, of the time flow during that session, um, and you, you can use that to authenticate and to provide various forms of you know, anti-spoofing protection. Very cool. Somebody asked in the uh, chat room uh, if a keystroke logger could capture these keystrokes. Absolutely, and I'd be happy to read mine out because uh, it doesn't matter. It, it, precisely, it's a it, one-time key, and that's the that's what makes this so powerful. Yes, yeah. it is. It exactly. It is. It is a one-time key. Uh, it will. And and again, oh, I forgot to mention that session counter. It is two bytes. Um, they actually have stolen the top bit from it, so it's only fifteen bits, meaning that it's it it runs up to a maximum of of of. Um, Three two seven six seven. It starts at zero. When it gets to the maximum of three two seven six seven, it stops and the YubiKey dies. So that's one thing worth noting. Wait a minute. That say that again. It, yeah, it what, can only generate how many? No, no. That that's what's cool. It's not about it's it's how many sessions 
it can have. That is, it it counts. It's a 15-bit counter, okay. so it counts up to three, two, seven, six, seven. So what's a session? A session is when you've powered this thing up. Ah, so you would have to unplug it and plug it in again to start over. Uh, exactly. But well, big deal. No. You're not going to use 15,000 sessions. No, no, no. It's it. No. Now remember that the key is this is a one-time password generator. Therefore, that session counter can never be allowed cryptographically oh. to wrap around to zero right. because that's where it started. <clears throat> it would and repeat although, passwords. Exactly. So, so are you saying that after 15,000 passwords, it stops working? No, no, no. It's the very important that people understand this. First of all, it's 32,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 32,635, whatever um, it is. Uh, no, it's only 15 no, bits. It's 15 bits. So it's, yeah. it's not 65,000. It's 32,000 32, it. sessions. But you can generate as many passwords in a session as you want to. And you're saying a session begins when you power it up. So it sounds like every time you unplug and plug it in, that's a new session? That is correct. Okay. So you so, wouldn't want to unplug it and plug it in. Well, consider that that's a big number. <laughs> yeah. First of all, that's 10 times a day for nine years. Okay. Is, is Never mind number. then. We won't worry about it. <laughs> well, well and, and, and imagine that this thing takes off. That, For example, you're using it as your open ID um, as your open ID well, token, which means you'd probably want to leave it plugged in. That's my point. Is yeah. you, you're, 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 or you're using it to authenticate yourself to to your right. to your bank and your corporation. So, and so or you get so, to work, you sit down, you plug it in, and you press that button whenever you need it, and you unplug it at the end of the day. Precisely. You're not going to use how many how many bins per session do you get? Is it? No, it's infinite. There's no limit on the number of keys you can generate per oh, session. Okay, then forget it. Then it's not a big deal. And the other reason that this is important is, remember, we know about non-volatile RAM not lasting forever. Ah. That is, you know, not uh, NVRAM. So it's, RAM it's not writing to the RAM, but it's reading, or the EEPROM, it's reading from the PROM. Well, the, the non-volatile portion, that is this two-byte session counter, ah. that's changing. Okay. So, so they, they did need to protect against the standard NVRAM fade, because we've talked about how some, some non-volatile RAM you can only write to 10,000 times. Right. Some is 100,000. Well, in this case, the, from an engineering standpoint, they knew that the non-volatile portion of this would be, it would be aging as it's, right. as it's counting sessions. Right. So, so, so exactly as you said, Leo, I mean, imagine that the typical use might be you, you, you plug it into your laptop Turn your laptop on. The little green light comes up, and then during your during your use of the laptop over the course of several hours, anytime you needed to authenticate to an Open ID site, you just reach down right. and put your finger on the little touch surface, right. and it would emit a YubiKey token. I love this. I, it is really neat. You know, I use and actually, it's interesting. Our new office manager, Frederic, said, "Is it okay if I uh, plug in my uh, RoboForm?" She has, and I use this too. RoboForm AI has a USB version. So you plug it in and your passwords are on there and authenticate. And it's a very nice system. But it's but so it's the same idea. I think people are already used to this, but this is so much slicker and so much more secure. Well, yeah, I mean it is it is absolutely secure. You cannot get the YubiKey to tell you it's it's secret 128-bit AES key. All you can get it to do is to spit out unique tokens which only have meaning if you if if the authentication end already has the key. And and what I what I was so pleased about uh, as as Yubico's 
concept of what they were going to do with this evolved is, I mean, they've even changed the language on the website in the last couple of weeks because there was language about, well, you know, the keys you're buying from them now are evaluation only and they'll expire. All of that's gone. That that was, you know, they weren't sure what what business model they wanted to have. And they they've settled on okay we're we're gonna sell these keys. They picked the right model, I think, don't you? Oh, I mean, it's why I'm so excited about yeah. this. Is is my Leo? I can't. There, there's no way that 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 Verisign will tell me the algorithm that they use in their footballs or their cards. Therefore, I cannot you can't trust it. Right. I, well, I cannot authenticate. Them. No, you can't you, do it yourself either. Right. You, Right, you cannot do it offline. You, you, there's, there's no way, for example, that this could be used for like Windows login that, that, that is VeriSign's stuff. You have to have a network connection in order to get them to do it. And it's like, well, okay, but you know, um, corporations have a substantial cost associated with using that kind of big corporate authentication solution, and it's, it, I mean, VeriSign's model is, you know, we're going to be, we have a big network, um, you know, we're not going to go down, you can trust us to be up all the time. Um, and it's like, well, okay, but it does limit the applications. Here, Yubico tells you everything you need to know. I mean, it's why I love it. I mean, I love crypto and I love authentication. Now I've got these keys that I can use for any purpose I want. I mean, you know, Sue, Greg, and I are going to use this. So to you're going to do it. You're going to implement it. Absolutely. Oh, isn't that neat? Yeah. I want to do know, it. I don't know why I have anything to do it with, but I just want to do it. Well, it is it is immediately <laughs> an open ID. Um, you know what I uh, thought you would be really good for? Now, we're not probably going to do this, but if you wanted to do a paid, say, paid podcast, a paid show, uh, somebody could subscribe and you'd mail them. They're cheap enough. You could mail them a YubiKey. Yes. And they couldn't watch it without the YubiKey. I mean, it's kind of, I, I, I don't want to say I'm not recommending it for DRM, but it, it could be the ultimate DRM. Well, as a matter of fact, one of the, one of the applications that Stina mentioned is the idea of for online gaming or or right. even for 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 downloadable games. Um, it ends up being a a very painless mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, hardware key where you you, you would uh, you would allow people then to download updates and download the software, which won't work until they authenticate with their YubiKey. All right, we're going to take a break, and I'm going to ask you if there are any negatives, because we've got to be honest, we've got to be balanced. In fact, I just thought of one, and so I'll, I'm going to ask you in a second. But before we do that, I do want to mention uh, another one of our sponsors. We have two on the show, and they're a great company. I know you know them very well, uh, Steve. Um, they're kind of the parent company, Citrix, which everybody knows. Uh, these guys have been around for a long time. I used to The former head of Citrix, Ed Yakabuchi, and I used to hang out. He's a brilliant guy. And they understand the guts of Windows. This is really what their fort is. In fact, the reason they understand it so well is they were practically on the Windows team. When Microsoft was first designing NT and IBM was designing OS2, Yakabuchi worked for IBM. He, I, the, the story goes, wrote a lot of the NT kernel. Uh, and, and, and Microsoft engineers wrote a lot of the OS2 kernel at the time. Well, you know, the whole, the whole Windows remote desktop technology, Citrix. That, they, they got that from Citrix. Citrix. Yes. And it's because they get the guts of it. So they've got a couple of consumer products that are really excellent. And I want to mention one of them, which is called GoToMeeting. I've been advertising this for about four or five years, uh, you know, primarily because I know Ed and because I know Cit- these guys at Citrix. And I've talked with a lot, uh, a lot of them down there. They're in Santa Barbara now. And just great fellas who have created a really useful technology. Now, here's what GoToMeeting is for. It's, a, it's, it's remote desktop, but applied to a specific idea, applied to the idea of online meetings. So, and it, what's great is it's very transparent. 
Um, you set up a meeting. You could do it. They have uh, you know Outlook plugin. Um, it's very easy to install it. It's, you know, it's because it's it's a contract. I think it's ActiveX, but I'm not sure. But it's a control. You go to the website. Boom! In the two minutes, you've got it installed, and then you can send invitations via Outlook, or you can just set up a meeting with a couple of clicks of the mouse. You get a meeting ID. Now, here's what you do: you tell the person you're going to meet with, and they could be anywhere in the world. You say, okay, either email them an invitation, or you say, here's the meeting ID. It's like a seven-digit number. They go to go to meeting. They enter the ID, or they click the uh, link, and suddenly, what they're seeing is your screen. They're in, in effect seeing it's remote via remote access what you're doing on your screen, and because there's, these guys know what they're doing, it's fast. It's, it's real time, good enough to show them PowerPoint, videos, audio, uh, there's collaboration features. So if you say, you know, um, you know, hey, let's work on a document together. Let's work on a spreadsheet together. Uh, if you wanted to train me, if you said, no, Steve, Steve's on the line and said, no, let me show you how to use this software. I've got the software. He sets up a go to meeting. He's running it. He says, now you take control and you use it and I'll watch how you use it. There are a lot of applications like this. It's a very cool program because it's got one, um, a, a monthly flat rate. You don't have to worry about how often you meet or how many minutes you're using some of the other guys. You got to count all that stuff, not with GoToMeeting. And I just think it's so cool. I want to set up a free trial for you. So here's how here's how it's going to work. If you go to GoToMeeting.com slash twit, G-O-T-O meeting.com slash twit, you can sign up for one month of free service, just completely free, unlimited meetings. Use it as, you know, use it 24-7 if you want. Really get a sense of what it could do for you. I've used it for lectures. We use it uh, frequently to collaborate, uh, I used to use it uh, with uh, the folks in Canada to work on stuff together. I mean, just there are 101 uses, but you got to try it to get what you can get the idea. Go to me. Actually, I'm sorry. I said gave you the wrong URL again. It's go to meeting.com slash security now. Not twit slash security now. That way Steve gets credit for it. Go to meeting.com slash security now. Go to meeting. Great technology you can put to use in your business right now. Go to meeting.com slash security now. We thank them so much for their support of security now. So now it's gone clean, clean out of my head. I thought of some ne- some negatives uh, about this. Um, I mean, the, I guess one negative would be if it, if you lose it, there's no way they can give you a replacement, right? That is correct. Now, you know, wh- I, I did want to mention uh, th- my concern over the idea of it, of this 32,000 sessions or, or days or, or however you would use it. Um, it's been uh, the comments been made that if this thing is on your key ring, you know, and you're putting it in, pulling it out, putting it in, pulling it out, um, it probably mechanically exactly. degrades. It's going to wear out before it exactly. Wears out. And yeah. so at some point, it's looking kind of ragged, and you, so you tell your IT department, "Hey, you know, my YubiKeys, you know, it's you know chipping off, and my dog chewed on it, and uh, you know, can I have a replacement, please?" Yeah, and so, then what do we do? Well, oh, that's no problem at all. Or if you lost it, you, you you report it lost the way you would a credit card, and they just cancel it. They just hand you another one for, you know, I mean, I didn't go through her whole price list, but at a million quantity, I mean, I guess a large corporation, you know, that wanted to standardize on this, they're $5 each. Okay. And, and which, is, 12, which is what the football costs from PayPal. Uh, and they're, well, and they're subsidizing it. Well, yes. Now, I, I do want to say that one downside it's worth mentioning is that is that the football and the credit card that is the the two you know visual numeric um id solutions because they don't use any kind of electrical interface they they could be used for authentication you know uh over the phone or right um at at a uh, you'd have to manually enter the number or speak it but but you can do that and you but you couldn't do that with the yubikey 
or like in some sort of a, 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 um, a like a Windows kiosk or something where you don't have access to the physical machine. Right. So right. so one limitation is, you know, it is being being a USB thing. It's for a, an end user who who has a computer and. You know, and has access to that computer's USB ports. Um, someone in there, I think they have an FAQ on their site where they said, well, wait, you know, my USB ports are all on the back of my right. desktop. Right. I can't get to them. Get an and extension the cord. <laughs> exactly. Just get one of those cool little USB <laughs> right. extension cords. And, and most then, and PCs have right now there. have it right on the front. I mean, that's that must be yeah. an older machine. Well, because it's becoming so ubiquitous. Right, right. Um, to use a term. Yes. Anyway. Um, the, the other thing that I think is interesting is that, I mean, on the positive side, just, I mean, I know that our listeners are thinking about this and there are ways that, that, that this can solve problems beyond just sort of generic open ID style authentication. For example, imagine a, a corporation where they wanted tight control over their corporate portal. So that, for example, you know, they don't want spam bots coming in posting things. Mm-hmm. Um, they they even want control over what sections of the site you're able to go to. So it'd be very easy for them to YubiKey enable their own corporate portal so that, what, you know, if, if you want to make a query from a database, it says, fine, please authenticate. And all you do is you, you just touch this little spot that is glowing green on, on the YubiKey, it spits the string out and then, and then you've authenticated yourself. So, so you could imagine all kinds of, of applications where again, because once this thing is installed, it's so simple to like re authenticate that, that it really provides, you know, I mean, imagine the pain of being asked to continually read six digits from, from the football or the credit card. I mean, yes, you could, but it's much easier to just, you know, touch the surface and it authenticates for you. And then, you know, your entire involvement is just touching the YubiKey. And and as you point out, by virtue of the number of digits it can spit out, it's, it's has much more secure uh, setup. I mean, it's a, it's a better way to do it. Well, I mean, yes, we would argue that six digits that are changing all the time is, is secure enough, but it is, it is the case that this is vastly more secure because you are, you're communicating 128 bits, which are encrypted with 128-bit Rindal key. Only the matching key will decrypt it and then give you the data. And as I said, you, re, you can really ignore the data. The fact that you decrypted it means you decrypted it for the proper key. So that proper key had to be at the other end of the connection. So it's it's dramatically more secure than six digits could be. A couple of points from our chat. Vovman says, if you have to phone home, uh, doesn't that mean that uh, it, it wouldn't work with a static passwords on a website? It, what we're saying really is that it's an open ID device or something like open ID where you, it would establish your identity and then open ID. So the website, so say you use it for twit.tv, which we, we, we support open ID. We don't have logins at this point, but if we decided to do logins, we support open ID. All you would have to do is use an open ID provider that supported the YubiKey. Then when you go to twit.tv and it says, okay, log in or provide your open ID uh, identity, you just plug in the, I think, now correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but you would plug in the YubiKey, you would click on the place where it said provide open ID. No, it wouldn't work for that, would it? You'd have to Enter your open ID identity. So go to your open ID provider. Then, then you authenticate. Then you the authenticate. Open ID. Right. Yes. So then you'd put in your key or press the button, and that would spit out the code that your 
you wouldn't even need to say a login and a password, or might you? Well, yes. Um, You're in effect you, logging in because you have a unique number in that. Well, you ha- well you have the flexibility, and that's again, it's what I love about this is that this is a it's like a low level perfect crypto toy that you can do anything with you want. Now, the reason you probably want a passphrase is that you want to protect against. Remember, we're talking oh, multi. Somebody stealing your key, of course. Yes, yeah. multi-factor authentication, right, meaning right, right, right. more than one factor. So you would have something you know would be your passphrase. Something you have is the YubiKey. Got it. So you'd want both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So this is a very cool. Also, one more comment, um, uh, and this one is more about our, our our broadcast than it is about the show today. RoboDog is uh, uh, Twittered to me uh, on our, our Twitter account, by the way, which is Twit Live. if you want to follow the podcasts, uh, broadcasts, and uh, send us questions. He says, all right, Steve has the pipes to support many cams. Can we see Steve by next week, please? <laughs> and he also wants, a, and I think this is a brilliant idea, a whiteboard for you. Wouldn't that be cool? I'm, I'm busy enough, Leo. No, no, I can do it. No. <laughs> so I'm not asking you for it, but I, I, we will eventually the setup will be. And it's just where, you know, in fact, uh, after the show today, I'm going to open up our TriCaster, which will give us this capability of switching to a camera. So, Steve, all you would have to do is send video with your Skype, which you can easily do. And then we'd be able to switch to your video as you're talking. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. You don't want to do that? Uh, I don't think so. You don't want anybody to see you? You're not uh, wearing any pants, are you? <laughs> Steve doesn't want Steve doesn't want to, have to put on makeup. There's, there's nothing to see. It's me <laughs> me leaning forward talking into this beautiful Heil microphone. What do you think it is when they look at me? At least they'd have uh, something else to look at. Now the uh, whiteboard is kind of an interesting idea, and I think we could do a digital whiteboard. We're going to redesign the homepage for this. In fact, we have a very nice homepage in mind. But there, that's a good, interesting idea where we would have something that you're on on your side. You've done powerpoints for the uh, TV show where we could actually throw those things up so that people would have some additional uh, information. The problem is that the problem is that was a TV show and everyone who was watching it was watching it. Uh, this is an audio good podcast. And, uh, going, good point. and uh, you know, I'm would always be focused on You're right. conveying this information through audio and I think that's, for me, that's the model of this podcast. No, you're so, right. In fact, I don't want ever the video to supersede or in any way impinge on the audio because most 99% of the audience listens to the audio, not watches the video. So you're point, absolutely point, yep. point nine, 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 yeah. nine, nine. Yeah. You know, so, well, it's not yeah. that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad, Steve. There are a thousand people watching the video. What? Oh, yeah. How do they even know about it? No one who's listening to, to, to security now has even heard about any of this stuff happening. Well, they have now. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, so uh, next, but literally, there are, there are a thousand people watching. So uh, Next week, watch out, folks. <laughs> so it's not .999, but it might be 99.9. I don't know okay, what it is. But, uh, we So uh, we will have uh, things like show notes and stuff uh, in real time on the page. So we'll at least be able to give you links and stuff if you're watching and you want to have more information right there. I think that's a good idea. But you're right, Steve, and I really want to emphasize this to everybody who listens. You know, you're you're the audience, so we're not going to do anything to impinge on you. And you're right. If we started doing a whiteboard, that would change the uh, dynamic of it. So I agree with you, Steve. Yeah. Steve, uh, anything else to say about Ubico? It's yubico.com, but if, but it's really not selling selling to end users. It's selling to people who would implement it as you know part of their system, right? Well, it is it is selling to end users, and I know. Um, for a fact from the email that I received that a bunch of end users have ordered $35 YubiKeys. But what would you do with it? 
It's an open ID. Um, right now, it is useful as an open ID authentication. But uh, uh, who's... They prov- they, they oh, they're provide- doing it. They're, yes, they're right now an open ID authenticator. Oh. So at the very least, you could use it as an open ID tool right now using Yubico as your open ID provider. Exactly. Huh. And and they, they've also published that, you know, they're doing backend authentication. They've got the AES, uh, secret AES key for every YubiKey they sell. They've then they have servers up and running and a fully published um, public open source web interface that allows anyone who wants to, for example, uh, well, to to finish that thought, anyone who wants to, to use their back end authentication right right now. So, so for example, you know, you could use it for access to your own, to your own wiki stuff and, and that kind of thing. Perfect. Oh, you're right. So we could use it internally. Yeah. All right, Steve, very interesting stuff. I'm glad Stina could join us. Uh, Stina, and we never did attempt her last name, but I think it's Aaron Svard. Yes. And, and we should probably have yeah. said that and said to her, is that how you say it? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, as she, of course, as usual, as, uh, as with everybody I've met from Sweden, she speaks better English than we do. So there well, you go. Well, I'm really glad we covered this. We're yeah. done with the YubiKey for at least for now, unless any of the other new developments happen. But I think it's, I mean, you know, authentication is crucial for the future, and and I love the policies that that these guys have adopted for for making this really cool one time password hardware authentication token available. It's I mean yeah, it's, it's really neat. so useful. Next week we're going to answer your questions and suggestions and uh, share them with the world. So uh, you've got to uh, go to Security Now's website, which is grc.com/securitynow, and uh, you can submit suggestions and questions there. You can also find there uh, 16 kilobit versions for the bandwidth impaired, full transcriptions. Thanks to Elaine. Tip of the hat to Elaine. Corey Doctorow sent us a note saying, is Elaine available for other podcasts, other stuff? And we said, yes. Yeah, she yeah. loves it. She's, she loves she's just tremendous. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, show notes are there. And of course, don't forget, that's GRC.com. It's the same place you find all of Steve's great free security programs like Shields Up. Uh, more than 50 million people have tested their firewalls using Shields Up. Free. Well, I think we're at 73 million what? now. Yeah. Holy camoly. It's <laughs> amazing. Well, we'll add another thousand right now, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, of course, so that's where SpinRight is. Everybody's favorite, my favorite, hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. If, you'd, if you've got a hard drive, you need SpinRight. GRC.com. Thanks, Steve. We'll see you again next week. Talk to you next week, Leo. Security now.